It's eight thirty-four. Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. This is WTMJ Radio. Let's let's get one thing out of the way. During Jane's newscast, she was talking about the story involving the the water tower out in Sussex yesterday, where apparently there's workers who are working on it, and the story is that they stopped on I think it was what Wednesday night because there was a venting issue, and they left the word. They, they had sandblasted or removed half of the word Sussex, and it was just S-E-X. Ha, ha, ha. And, you know, actually, we were talking about that yesterday, and the woman I'm dating, her name is Fran, her oldest daughter lives in Sussex. And so they, they heard me talking about it, and she actually ran out and took a picture of, of the water tower. So that's it. Um, let, let us be clear. This was not an, un, in my opinion, this was not an unintentional gaffe. This was, this was whoever, whatever workers were working on the project decided that they thought that this would be funny. And so... That, that's that's what they did. But th- that you will never convince me that this was an unintentional sort of thing. You could have stayed an extra five minutes and sandblasted one of the other letters off, or you could have left five minutes early and, you know, left a couple of them on, or you could have left it S-U-S instead of S-E-X. It's not the biggest deal in the world. And I think it is sort of clever, and I guess it's something that you snicker at. And it, it did make national news, as a matter of fact. This was getting national attention. But... Anybody who believes that the workers just inadvertently did this, um, my advice to you would be, you know, cover up your shoulder as you fall off the turnip truck so you don't hurt yourself because um, you will never convince me that this was just an accidental sort of mistake. And, you know, this has happened before, and they've talked about it. I mean, it's I, I understand you have some people who think it's clever and maybe they think it's original. And it's not the biggest deal one way in the world, and it's kind of something to smile about. But you'll never convince me that this was just, oh, it was a gap. It was a mistake. We didn't realize what we were doing. I'm sure the guys that were doing whatever work they were doing on the, on the uh, water tower – had a really good laugh on um, what Wednesday night when they knocked off work and went over to have a couple beers. You know, wherever they were having a couple beers, they were laughing their butts off because of this. So that, that, that's all well and good, but um, gee, a gaff. I don't think so. Okay, we start off this program like we start every, every program. Segment I call three big things, things I think that you should know about to discuss today when you're at the gym or at the workplace or wherever. Big thing number one, and I want to follow up on it. I just, I just mentioned this briefly yesterday. I actually got a huge response to some of the comments I made, and the story just continues to get worse. Now, let us back up to the 2016 election. Regardless of whether you adore Donald Trump or hate Donald Trump, can we agree on one thing? Donald Trump was an extremely flawed candidate. These things that people are criticizing him for now, he's impulsive, he's impetuous, he shoots his mouth off, he's a bully, he doesn't think before this, he's arrogant, all this stuff. You might be right, but it's not like Donald Trump pretended to be something other than that. I mean, the, the full range, and apart from policy, I have, I have always found Donald Trump's personality to be off-putting. I hate it. Hated the TV show The Apprentice or The Celebrity Apprentice. I didn't find that interesting at all. I found him to be a rich bully. Okay, th- th- there's nothing about his personality that I found appealing. But having said that, and that's just personality. That's not politics. It's just a personality. He did nothing to discourage or pretend that he was anything other than that when he was running for office. I mean, look at the way he treated all the other Republicans that he was running against, the calling names and the questioning their manhood and the kind of stories that uh, Ted Cruz, you know, his father was associated with uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. I mean, just sort of crazy stuff. So there's no question that 
America knew who Donald Trump was before America, wait for it, elected him. So I understand that people or some people are frustrated now and the people that didn't like him can't believe that Americans actually voted for him, but but they did. And it's not like he pretended to be something other than he was. The full Donald Trump was on display during the presidential campaign and America chose. Now, for everybody who thinks that's a mind-boggling decision, the person who probably thinks it is the most mind-boggling decision is Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton who considers herself, I think, to be the smartest person in any room that she walks into. Hillary Clinton, who considers herself to be, you know, the person that, you know, the country should choose and should have chosen to lead us out of whatever issues we have. Hillary Clinton lost to Donald Trump. And if we accept my premise that Donald Trump was as flawed a candidate running for president, whoever won the election. What does it mean when you're the person that lost to Trump? What does that say about you? Well, Hillary Clinton is having a very difficult time accepting the fact that she lost. And so now you know, she was she was quiet for a while, and now she's coming back. And she's issuing a, a series of statements where I, I call this, you know, remember for a while South Park, the, the cartoon TV show, had the show, you know, had the, the blame Canada for things. Well, Hillary Clinton, if you listen to what she's saying lately, she's on what I call her Blame America tour. In other words, it's, it's not her fault, but it's your fault that she ended up losing. Now, she gives a speech the, the other day where she says, I take responsibility for every decision I made, but that's not why I lost. Right? I, I made the decision that I'm not going to come to Wisconsin and campaign, but that's not my fault. That's not the reason I lost. Here's why she lost. She's, in her opinion, she lost because of Russian interference. She lost because of hack, hacking and meddling. She lost because... Um, she thinks that the Trump campaign colluded with the Russians. She lost because of James Comey. She lost because the Democratic National Committee didn't support her enough. She lost because, in her view, America is misogynistic, and you had people who would not support a woman, even though lots of the people who voted for Donald Trump were, in fact, women. In other words, it's blame America for her loss. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Big story number one. Hillary says it's not her fault. Don't blame her. I think Hillary needs psychological help. Here is the reality. She lost because America just wasn't that into her. She was running against a deeply flawed candidate. She was an even more flawed candidate. She was arrogant. She was out of touch with the country. And the bottom line is she was just incredibly unlikable. She wasn't able to connect with the American people. She ran a horrible campaign. And, yes, it is probably true that there were factors that gave her a bit of a headwind. But you know what? She should have won this election by five or ten points. The fact that she didn't comes down to one thing and one thing only, and that is that America doesn't like her. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. 
Who's to blame for Hillary Clinton losing? She points the finger at everybody and everything, but it's not her. Do you buy that? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 842. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Eight forty-six. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Former presidential nominee Hillary Clinton continues her speaking tour, during which she is reacting to last November's loss. Scafidi and Billstead dive into her most recent comments on what cost her the election. That's this afternoon at twelve thirty-five. That's what we're talking about now. Uh, essentially, it, it's the Blame America tour. It's everybody's fault but mine. You hate women, even you women who voted against me. Uh, <laughs> You, it was the Russians. It was the Comey letter. It was one thing after another. It was the Democratic National Committee that did this. It was hacking. It was all these things. No, it wasn't. It was the fact that America doesn't like her. Let's uh, talk to Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on 620 BTMJ. Good morning. Mike. The thing that she raised yesterday, she said uh, it was all voter suppression. It was the tough Wisconsin uh, voter ID law that that led to her uh, demise um she she's the reason that uh, trump won because she was such a flawed candidate yep. and and i the democrats are the dumbest party in the world they could have won with joe biden they could have won with almost anybody uh running against trump but they chose her and and so she's to blame well well I- I- exactly i mean you know the, the idea of like voter suppression in milwaukee i mean here's what happened she she grossly underperformed compared to Barack Obama in, for example, the Milwaukee African-American community. That that people were excited to vote for Obama. People weren't excited to vote for Hillary Clinton. And and what about the decision, Mike, to not come to Wisconsin? I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know if that would have made any difference, but who is it that made that decision not to campaign in Wisconsin? It was Hillary. I, I think it would have made somewhat of a difference. I mean, she lost by, what, 20, 30,000 votes. I, yeah. I think if she would have... She thought this state was locked up for yep. her, and she was... She took it for granted. Doing, right, because she was just going to do her thing, and she was such a flawed candidate. She, you know, the, the fact that she lost to Barack Obama originally, you know, you would think that she would have learned something from all of that, but apparently she didn't, and she just was so full of herself yep. that she thought, I'm a woman, I'm going to carry this to the presidency, I'm going to do whatever she right. was going to do. And she was just flawed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I think, and, and flawed and, and arrogant. You know, I don't, I consider myself to be smarter than the average bear, but I fully acknowledge that I am, I am rarely the smartest person in the room. And, and when you run into the real thing, you know, if you have any degree of self-awareness, you, you know it. But there's two types of people who really are the smartest people in the room. There, there's the ones who, who, who are, but they don't show it. And then there's the Hillary Clintons of the world. Hillary Clinton considers herself to be the smartest person in any room that she's in. And you know what? She might be. I'll give her credit. She might be. But that's not when you act like that. That's not a trait that endears you to people. It, it's just not. And I have no doubt that she looked at Donald Trump and she saw this rich old, white, arrogant gas bag and could not believe, could not believe that America would choose this person that she, I think, probably detested on many different levels and certainly thought was completely unfit to be the leader of the free world. She looked at him and she says, there's no way I can lose to this guy. I am Hillary, you know what, Clinton. 
I am Hillary Clinton. I have been around for you know decades. People love me. I've served in the U.S. Senate. I've been the Secretary of State. I, I've I've been the architect of you know a failed health care reform before. I have been here. Of course, people are going to love me, and of course, people are going to vote for me. And you know what what ended up happening is there was the arrogance of the campaign. Um, decisions that are still inexplicable, like I say, not campaigning in Wisconsin. Would it have made a difference? I don't know. But when it's a relatively close thing, and it's a state that had gone for Democrats for president every year since Ronald Reagan ran for re-election back in 1984, um, and, and you just you just ignore it, you don't show up, you do nothing to mobilize your base, you just assume that people are going to vote for you, well, you know, you end up you end up having this this happen. Um, she believed the polls, but here's the bottom line: I, I I don't think she helps her legacy by going on this blame America tour. As fa- a matter of fact, as part of this, she's getting a little bit of backlash now. You even got people like Al Franken for all sense of saying you know she really needs to get over this. You've got the Washington Post writing a story saying, "Hey, she's blaming the Democratic National Committee for not supporting herself." So this is now now she's starting to not only shoot at her, you know, opponents, but now she's starting to fire at her allies and they're saying, "Wait a second, this was not our fault that you ended up losing Losing. Big story number one, Hillary continues her Blame America tour. I think every time she opens her mouth about this, she hurts herself more and more. Big story number two is coming up, and Governor Walker weighs in on the effort to change the concealed carry law. Stick around. It's 852. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 8.55, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. Opening day starting pitcher, just three starts. Free agent closer already lost his job. You'd think pitching would be keeping the Brewers out of first place, but that's not the case. Greg Matzik explains why during Sports Central. That is 6.07 this evening. Brewers start a homestand against, well, it starts with against the L.A. Dodgers tonight. It is going to be an absolutely beautiful night, just an incredibly beautiful night. So if you don't have plans, I'd say going out to the ballpark. If you can't go out to the ballpark, or actually, if, even if you do, Take us along and listen to the call. It is the first place Milwaukee Brewers, and what a pleasure. I mean, after the last couple of years where, frankly, by the end of April, they played themselves out of any serious contention, the Brewers are um, a game and a half against the, uh, ahead of the St. Louis Cardinals, three games against the Cubs. Cardinals and Cubs are pay, playing today in Chicago. Too early to do scoreboard watching, but, you know, it's it is just, it's fun for as long as it lasts. And, um that's very, very cool, and Greg will dissect a little bit of this. All right, big story number two is coming up in just a couple minutes because I want to. I've got the top of the hour news. I want to. I want to discuss it. If you get your insurance through your employer, some Republicans, well, they are thinking about changing the way that insurance is taxed. I think the idea is a complete and total non-starter. But we will discuss before that, though, over the last couple of days, I, I've been talking a lot about this this effort that's being spearheaded by a couple Republican legislators in Madison to change the, the concealed carry law. Now, I, I feel strongly about this because I was one of at least the media voices who argued for years. I mean, starting during the Doyle administration, 
Um, actually, even before that, back when Republicans control, when Democrats controlled the state Senate, for about the need for concealed carry, I thought it was absurd that we in Wisconsin were one of the only states that did not allow law-abiding citizens to be able to obtain a permit so they could carry a concealed firearm for their protection. And I argued for years and years and years about that. Finally, the legislature, Republicans took over, Scott Walker came in, signed what I think is a very reasonable and measured bill, which gives law-abiding citizens the right to get a permit to carry a concealed firearm. Getting the permit is not onerous at all. As a matter of fact, you can make an argument that maybe the the standards for getting the permit should be more than just taking the four-hour class. But I I leave that aside, right? There is a push being engaged in by just some hardcore gun, pro-gun rights activists that has unfortunately caught the ear of some Republican legislators, which would do away with the entire concealed carry permit system. The proposed law would essentially say you can go armed with a concealed weapon any time you want as long as you're legally allowed to carry a gun. It would also expand where you could carry concealed weapons. I don't want to talk about that aspect. I want to talk about the idea that you don't even need a permit. This, in my opinion, and this comes from somebody who supports the Second Amendment, is crazy. It is political suicide, and it's just a dumb idea. Excuse me. It's a dumb idea. You don't give a 16-year-old kid the keys to the car and say, go out and drive on the freeway without some degree of at least a modicum of training. I think it's reasonable to say if you're going to carry a firearm in a concealed fashion, you should at least have some explanation of what your rights and what your obligations are. Plus, I don't see this among guns rights advocates. I don't know anybody who thinks that this is an unreasonable sort of thing. This is this idea of doing away with this is what I describe as a solution looking for a problem. Well, here's some good news. Governor Walker was speaking um, yesterday in, in front of a group of kids out in Mineral Point. And somebody asked him, hey, where do you stand on this? And while he he didn't say that he would veto anything that comes out of the legislature, he did say that he thinks it's appropriate to require Wisconsin residents to continue to contain licenses to carry hidden weapons. That is the common sense, reasonable approach. Now, again, it's not saying that he would veto legislation if it was passed, but it's sending a message that this is not a good idea. Once again, Governor Walker is right, and some of the people in the legislature are wrong. It is politically dumb. It is socially dumb. It is bad policy. Wake up. It's 9.08. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. For the last six-plus years, Republicans have been talking about the need to repeal and replace Obamacare. The devil is, of course, in the details, and... Um, It is becoming more and more apparent that there's not going to be anything done with the Affordable Care Act probably this year. Um, The Senate comes back from recess next week. I'm looking at a story in the Wall Street Journal. Richard Burr, who's a Republican from North Carolina, says... This thing, it's not going to happen. He said, um, we're, we're, we're not going to get a deal done anytime soon. And candidly, I don't think we're going to get anything done for the rest of the year, which means if you're not going to get anything done for the rest of the year, next year is an election year. Lots of people up for reelection. I don't know. Are you going to be able to repeal a major entitlement in an election year? I, I don't know. But in any event, uh, at least one Republican in the Senate saying, look, we, we just don't have a consensus, and this isn't going to happen. Now, 
I personally think it is important to do something with the Affordable Care Act because it will crater. You have insurers right now who are bailing on these individual markets. The number of choices have gone down. When President Obama said that if you like your doctor, you can keep him or her, well, that was not true. If you like your insurance plan, you can keep it. That's not true at all. And it's getting worse and worse. Having said that, though, the devil is in the details. And this leads us to big story number two. As part of any reform of the Affordable Care Act, repeal, replace, whatever, the Congress is looking for money. Where is the money going to come from to do this? How are we going to continue to pay the subsidies to help underwrite these costs? And one of the things that is being looked at, and this is something that our very own Paul Ryan floated as well, is the idea of taxing employer health plans. Now, let me let me explain what this is. Most people in this country continue to get their insurance through their employers. That that's certainly the situation for me. My guess is it's probably the situation for you. You have you know some people who over 65, they're, they're on Medicare. You have some people. But really, when you look at the overall population, a relatively a comparatively small number who are in the private insurance market now are covered through the Affordable Care Act. The majority of people get their insurance through their employers. When you get your, and, and I know people don't look at their, when, when, when people get their salary things, may, let's say you're like me, I get paid every two weeks, right? And every two weeks you get like this little printout or you can go online and get this printout to see what your gross pay was and then what your net pay was and where all the money went, right? I, I know most people, all they look at is the bottom line. How much was with the check? They don't look at how much they paid in taxes. They don't look at how much they paid they paid for health care, and the vast majority of people don't have any idea how much their employers pay for their health care. For example, you know, if you look at your paycheck, and let's say in a two-week period, it costs you $100 for your, your insurance, whatever. You, you know, they don't disclose, at least you get a notice at the end of the year, but every two weeks, they, they don't tell you how much your employer is paying towards that. And my guess is the employers are paying a lot more than, than, than you are. But, but people don't pay attention to that anyways. It's just, okay, what's the bottom line? What's on the, the dollar amount of the paycheck? What's on the stub? How much went into my account? So people don't pay attention to this. But under the law, you are not taxed with some very, very minor exceptions. Almost no one is taxed on the value of the health insurance that you that you get. So if, if you pay... Let's say you pay $100 every two weeks. That, that's pre-tax. You are not taxed on that. Your employer, with very, very few exceptions, is not taxed on the money that they contribute to your health insurance. It's, it's a, again, it's a pre-tax sort of thing. So they, they don't pay taxes on it. Now, what this means is that it gives arguably an incentive for some employers to, you know, offer good, expensive health care coverage because they, they get a tax they get a tax break. It's a benefit that you can give out without anybody having to pay taxes on it. And it's one of the things that makes the system work. There are some GOP senators who are talking about and of course the Democrats would love this. They are talking about changing the rules to tax employer health plans. So in other words, 
the amount of whatever the value of the health insurance is, you would pay a tax on it, and your employer would pay a tax on it as well. So that deduction that you have, that that $100 in my example that you're paying every two weeks, that would no longer be pre-tax. Rather, it would be lumped in, and you would end up paying taxes on this. Um, There are, right now, about 177 million people who get coverage through their employers. Like I say, that's the vast amount, that's the vast majority of people who get their insurance. The estimates are that if you did something like this, um, you could you could generate um, about $250 billion a year. But that's $250 billion a year in higher taxes. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is big story number two. I don't know about you, but I don't think the American public is ready to start being taxed on the value of their insurance benefits. And I, I understand that there's um, that you know o- Obama supported this this idea of a Cadillac tax on the most generous employer plans, and that's been delayed. But the reason for that is there's such a backlash. What this would do is this would hit all of us. It would particularly hit those of us who have good insurance plans through our work. And it doesn't matter, and that's if you're a union guy or a union gal and you've negotiated, you know, good benefits and that's important to you, you would start paying a lot more because you'd have to pay for taxes. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Big story number two, they're seriously considering taxing employer plans I think this is politically suicidal, and I think it's bad policy, and I think people should just take it off the table. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 916. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 918, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. WTMJ let you experience Wisconsin's finest supper clubs at half price. This week, our featured supper club is the Main Mill in Menominee Falls. Try that for alliteration. Featuring homemade barbecue, tasty steaks, and a variety of signature dishes, you can enjoy them all on the Main Mill's elevated deck dining experience today. Today, right as my program ends at noon, you can get a $50 certificate for only $25. It's like stealing, but it's legal. These go very quickly. We only have 100 available, so get ready to get yours today starting at noon by heading to WTMJSupperClub.com. All right, there is at least one thing that's being considered in Washington to help pay for any health care reform, and that would be taxing, taxing, employers and individuals contributions for health insurance right now it's non-taxable if you get your insurance through your employer which is where 177 million people do i think it is a non-starter tony and wawatosa tony you're on 620 wtmj good morning oh uh, yes good morning thank you for taking sure. the call uh, i just want to make an observation here i uh, turned 65 last december and i went on a uh, Medicare, up to that point, I had some previous insurance through my employer. Right. Uh, anyway, um, I was sort of surprised to learn that it was a premium for Medicare that I have to pay 
out of my Social Security monthly premium based on my income. Yep. And at the end of the year, that's considered taxable income, yep. the premium that I pay throughout the year. So why not? Well, so you're saying that because you have to do it through Medicare, which is largely underwritten already by taxpayer dollars, you think that every the 177 other million million people who get it through their employer that's not subsidized by taxpayer dollars should have to pay it as well? Well, I don't know how many of the 177 million get employer uh, paid insurance. I think a lot of it is privately. No. They provide the opportunity to get insurance through your employee uh, employer. That doesn't mean that they're going to pay for a lock, stock, and barrel. I've been down that road. Well, no, but I'm, well, I mean, okay, well, here's the number. 177 million people get coverage through their employers. All right, that's the, the government isn't subsidizing them. Your Medicare payments are subsidized by the, the government. Now, you, now you, you've paid into funds over the years, so I mean, I'm not, I'm not implying that you're a free rider or anything like that. that. That's, you know, you're entitled to those benefits, but, but, the 177 million people, which is the vast majority of folks that, that get their insurance, they get it through their employers. That's not the government underwriting that. Now, one of the, the benefits uh, and the, one of the incentives for people and for employers to give folks good coverage is the fact that you get that, that tax break. It's one of the few tax breaks that continue to exist for, for everybody who works in the private sector. Now, I guess... You know, they're looking at, I mean, these numbers are staggering. I mean, $250 billion a year. Let us be honest. If you do this, this is a $250 billion tax increase that you are putting on the backs of employers and that you are putting on the backs of employees. At the very least, it will provide a huge, a huge incentive for employers to cut back on the type of health care programs they offer. That, that's, that's the best-case scenario. The worst-case scenario is that you have more employers who finally reach the point of saying, hey, look, this is getting too costly. If we lose the ability to write this stuff off, we're going to just stop providing it, and we're going to drop dump our employees. We'll just pay whatever the minor penalty is, and we'll dump our employees back onto the, 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 the marketplace. The way... Look, I understand that you got to fix health care. I, I fully believe that. The way you fix health care isn't taking one of the few things that works reasonably well. And I think most people, and actually we're going to talk about this maybe a little bit later on this morning, I think most people who get their insurance through their employers are relatively satisfied with their insurance. Nobody likes paying for health insurance. Nobody likes paying increased costs. But in general, I think this is the one aspect of the healthcare system that works decently. Employers offer, and it, it, it works for the majority of people, you know, employers offering health insurance having an incentive to offer good health insurance, but then getting a corresponding tax break. Now, you're right. This does, for people who are in the private market, who don't get to write that off unless it's a certain percentage of health expenses, it does It does create a somewhat unequal system. But you don't blow up the good part of the system in an effort to try to, I, I don't know, make everything even worse. Just saying. That's big story number two. Big story number three we're going to be talking about in a couple minutes. Heads are exploding in the city, in the state, across the country, and across the world 
Is the reaction proportional to what's really going on? I'm talking about the decision to pull out of the Paris Climate Accord. We discuss next. It's 924. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 926, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right, big story number three, and this is, see, I I read all this stuff on the Internet so you don't have to, Um, but if you were to pick up a hard copy today of the, and I almost, I understand almost nobody does this anymore, but if you were to pick up a hard copy of the New York Times or the Washington Post or the Chicago Tribune or to a lesser extent the Journal Sentinel, um, what you would find is that there are stories after story after story. The New York Times really went went absolutely nuts on this. There, there's got to be, at I, I want to say at least a half dozen major stories. There are probably more about the decision that President Trump announced yesterday afternoon to withdraw the U.S. from the Paris Climate Agreement. Now, um, the Paris Climate Agreement. It's not a treaty. It was an agreement that Barack Obama signed off on. He's never submitted it to the U.S. Senate for ratification, so it has no legal basis at all. And Trump has said, hey, look, I I just I don't want to participate in it. What the agreement essentially does is it is it's an unenforceable agreement. There's no enforcement mechanism at all, but it is an unenforceable commitment of various nations in the world to try to reduce greenhouse gases. There's nothing, again, that says that there's no consequences for not doing it. There's little or no inspection. There's no enforcement. And what it's particularly targeted at is, well, um, things like coal. So uh, because even though there's what they call clean coal and cleaner ways to produce energy, um, still coal is going to produce the greenhouse gases, the carbon-based things like that. So this is this is targeted at countries that depend on coal or can rely on coal, and so that of course that applies. That's West Virginia, you know. That's the state like it's a state like Kentucky, and it has a disproportionate impact, say, on some place like the United States. Plus, again, there's no enforcement mechanism. So if China or some developing country decides, hey, you know, we're going to do whatever we need to do. We want cheap energy to try to develop. There's no enforcement mechanism about this at all. Plus, it raises the whole larger issue of, you know, what's really going on with the, the earth. In my opinion, see, I'm not necessarily a climate change denier. I appreciate you have more people living now on the planet than than ever before. You have more and more nations that are becoming industrialized. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely changes to the atmosphere. Where I don't get into the hysteria is saying that, okay, that means in a couple decades, everybody's going to be underwater. I mean, the Earth has adapted. We've had ice ages. You know, you've, you've had different fluctuations and again i'm just not convinced that it's going to be as disastrous as some people predict but at the same time i do acknowledge that there's probably that there has been with more people and more industrialization that there is an effect on the climate the question becomes again what does that ultimately mean and that's where i think i part with a lot of the the, the climate change you know people who are just convinced that this means it's going to be the end of the world as we know it so anyhow donald trump says look We're pulling out. We're not going to continue our commitment with this. doesn't say 
that he's not going to continue to be, you know, sensitive to, you know, environmental issues. And the fact of the matter is the economics of this with natural gas being as plentiful as it is, you know, more and more providers are moving away from coal anyways because it's cheaper right now to get natural gas. I don't know whether that's going to be the case 5 or 10 or 15 years from now, but right now this the, the general economics of the whole situation are driving people away from coal. So you're accomplishing it regardless of whether or not you have an agreement. In any event, Almost every news story is talking about how this is disastrous for the planet. What a buffoon President Trump is. How can you do this? This is hurting our world standing. Let's tee this up. Big thing number three, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this, in fact, as disastrous for the planet as some people are saying or is this really much ado about nothing? We discuss. 414-799-1620. It's 9.35, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, our classic free ride, makes a pit stop in Waukesha today. Join McCure and Join McCure. Join John McCure and Wisconsin's Afternoon News as they broadcast live from 3 to 6 at the Woodman's on Main Street. Um, registered to win the stunning 1968 Valenti Oldsmobile 442 convertible and tickets to see Pink perform at Summerfest later this month. It's Main Street in Waukesha. Okay, that is today from 3 to 6 at Woodman's on Main Street in Waukesha. It's the WTMJ Classic Free Ride sponsored by New Mail Medical in Wauwatosa and Summerfest. All right, heads are exploding all across the world. Donald Trump, what a buffoon. He has pulled out of the Paris Climate Accords. This was an agreement entered into by Barack Obama that was never submitted to Congress. It would never be ratified as a treaty because you need two-thirds of the Senate, and they won't vote for it. You're not going to get two-thirds of the vote. Is this really the United States abdicating its role for being good stewards of the environment, or is this concern much ado about nothing? I, it, to me, it's much ado about nothing. Let's start with Bill in Brookfield. Hi, Bill. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Um, like I said, uh, told your call screener, it's all about the numbers. Um, basically, this puts... Uh, huge restrictions on Americans and American businesses yep. to compete in the global economy, yep. number one. Number two, um, even if we did everything that this uh, accord uh, and treaty asked for, it, it would only drop the temperature by two-tenths of a percent, uh, yep. of one degree. That's it. Right. it. It's so minute, it's unbelievable. And, and, that, and let me just stop here. And, and, that's, and you're right. That's if you get everything. And that's if... The world, the yeah. nations like China and all the other developing, na- the Indias of the world, if they decide that they are going to comply, and we know they're not going to comply with that. So, you know, we Absolutely. will voluntarily handcuff ourselves, and, and what are we going to get out of it? You're right. And it's not fair to the American worker or the American people to have such a burden put upon uh, this country for the rest of the world. It's not right. Um, no, thanks. Well, and, and plus... Again, I keep coming back to the, the bottom line of all this is that right now, the you know coal, you know coal in the United States is is out of favor because even though coal is plentiful, and even though coal is cheap, right now natural gas is more plentiful, and that's because you know we've developed our, our ways to extract it. You've got things like fracking. You've got these different thing, ways of getting it. Natural gas right now is cheaper than coal. So just the, again, the economy and the economics of this whole thing is that 
with or without Paris Climate Accords, with or without government regulation, what's going to happen is just naturally you're going to have more and more dependence on, again, on on natural gas than you do with coal. So I look at this whole thing and say, all right, really, you know, what what's the big deal? Plus, again, explain to me what happens when China or when India or whenever these other any other developing country decides that, hey, you know, okay, we've signed off on this agreement, but what's the big deal? You know, does that really mean that we're not going to continue to develop and we're not going to stress manufacturing because we care about this unenforceable agreement? Sorry, I I just I don't buy that. Richard in Michigan. Richard, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Um, the previous caller mentioned the very tiny amount of savings if everything worked. That happens to be considerably less than the rounding allowance NOAA and NASA use, which means even if it works, we won't be able to tell. <laughs> right. It's within the margin of error, in other words, is what you're saying. Yeah. The, the primary beneficiary is massive government subsidies to the connected. Our emissions are already down. Uh, we did that without government enforcement. Right which might be a disappointment to some people. Yeah, like I say, it's it's the economics of it. We're switching more to natural gas because it's cheaper. We're already taking care of it without accords. And and so, in effect, it's a feel-good, do-nothing, uh, spend a lot of money to give the connected a lot of money. I mean, that's not... You know, a new story. Um, no, thank you it, very much. No, thanks. And 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 again, it, it, it is playing out. So, I mean, I, I try to offer a little bit of perspective on this because, again, if if you watch the Talking Head show, or Lord forbid, you're one of the handful of people that still picks up the hard copies of newspapers, you're going to see just one alarmist story after a, another. And I, I actually printed a couple of them out. I. Um, Trump, here's the New York Times. Trump's stupid and reckless climate decision. Um, you know, that's, uh, let's see, Trump, this is Trump, this is all the New York Times, Trump gratuitously rejects the Paris Climate Accord. You know, it's one thing after, Trump will withdraw the U.S. from the climate agreement. What to expect as the U.S. leaves the the Paris Climate Accord? Um, you know, really, how might other countries respond to the U.S. pulling out? All those different things. Well, okay, I, I think, it's a leap of faith to believe that, again, any of these countries are going to you know, do anything to follow the accord in the first place. My guess is, before people set their hair on fire, my guess is if you look five years from now, ten years from now, just like our last two callers were talking about, what you're going to see is we would have pretty much accomplished by the free market – Without this accord, we will have pretty much accomplished all the different goals. And like I say, I'm not a climate change denier, but I'm not a climate change hysteric. Yes, we have more people in the world. Yes, more nations are becoming more industrialized. Yes, there is probably a gradual warming, but we have had the earth has adapted over the years. You've had ice ages and then you've had periods of increased temperatures. The earth manages to figure out a way to adapt and Again, you can be a good steward of the environment without going all crazy Al Gore, and I think that's kind of the position that's uh, that we're in. If if this really was going to save the planet, um, maybe it would be a different situation. But the truth of the matter is, this Paris Climate Accord, completely voluntary, probably going to be ignored by a lot of other countries. Um, I, I think Trump is right to say, let's take another look at this. It's 942, Jeff Wagner, 620 
WTMJ. When we come back, well, all right, as long as we're talking about Trump, it appears that he's going to reduce the mandate for birth control and insurance. We'll talk about that as well. Stick around. It's 942. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 946, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right. Um, As part of the Affordable Care Act, there was a requirement put in place uh, as to certain things that had to be mandated by insurance. Now, it used to be that you could select different plans, and you could decide what you wanted, and you, you could go... Oh, from a bare bones type of thing, you know, saying, hey, look, I'm I'm willing to pay for I'm willing to pay for physicals. I'll pay for my annual physical. It can put towards my deductible, but my, my premiums will be lower. Things like that. Well, one of the things that Obamacare did away with is the, the ability of people to select different things that they wanted to cover for insurance. And one of the requirements now is what they call a contraception mandate. And what the contraception mandate means is that birth control has to be covered on insurance plans. So if you're a 62-year-old woman who is buying insurance through your – well, who's getting insurance, uh, regardless of whether it's employer or on the, on the market, your plan has to cover birth control. Well, let's say you're a 62-year-old woman who's had a hysterectomy. You're not going to have kids, all right? You, you, you don't have the ability – to opt out of that, you have to pay for that that birth control that covers other people, um, even though you're never going to be able to take advantage of it. The other problem is that when it comes, for example, to birth control, there are a number of employers who object to you know the, the idea of of birth control, you know, for whatever reasons, and. The ability of them to opt out of this for religious reasons is very, very low. So this has always been a a bone of contention. Well, the Trump administration um, has just drafted a sweeping revision of the government's contraception coverage mandate. Now, the way this is being presented in places like the New York Times is the Trump rule could deny birth control coverage to hundreds of thousands of women. That is that is false. Um, what the rule would do is it would expand the number of employers and insurers that could qualify for exemptions from the mandate by claiming a moral or a religious uh, objection. And the truth of the matter is this, these rules would expand the ability of employers or insurers not to offer birth control coverage as part of their plans. Right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There is no free lunch. There is no free lunch. And when you mandate that a certain thing be covered under an insurance plan, that means that people have have to pay for it. There is a cost to that. One of the things, religious issues aside, these mandates saying, Okay, this has to be covered. And it has to be covered on all policies, and insurers are not allowed to offer options that don't have this. I've always been bothered by that. And this whole birth control mandate is 
is one of those things. The idea that you know people have to buy coverage for birth control when it might not be relevant to them. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The headline, again, Trump rule could deny birth control coverage to hundreds of thousands of women. Well, no, it wouldn't deny coverage. It would say that their employers or their insurers wouldn't necessarily have to offer that as a condition. Nothing saying that the people couldn't find some other. If, this, if birth control coverage was something, for example, that was gee, I'm going to decide where I'm going to work. This is so important to me that I want to have this covered. Well, then you could find a job that offered that type of insurance. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should the government really be in the business of mandating that things, in this case, like birth control, have to be covered? Do I think it's a bad thing? No, not necessarily. Do I understand why employers would want to offer that, for example, as part of the coverage plan? Sure, I get it. Do I understand why people might want to, in buying an individual insurance policy, decide, hey, I, I'm, I'm in my health insurance, you know, this, this is fine. I, I'm willing to pay for this coverage. I get all that, and I don't have a problem with that. But the idea that it has to be mandated, that everybody has to pay for it. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, what Trump is talking about doing is expanding the, the ability of employers to opt out of this by using, like, the religious or the, the quote-unquote, moral objection to it. All right, I think the bigger issue to me is why is that something that should necessarily be mandated? 414-799-1620 is the number. Uh, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss when we come back. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 952. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 954. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, coming up about in, 10, in about 10 minutes. Has Capital Drive, have Capital Drive and 76th Street, have they become, are they thoroughfares or are they drag strips? And why is this going on? We'll discuss. Um, right now we're talking about th- th- this plan that, that President Trump has to roll back requirements that employers have to offer birth control coverage as part of any health insurance plan. Um, you know, right now that they estimate that about 55 million women have birth control coverage without out-of-pocket costs as a result of, of Obamacare. Um, two-thirds of women using birth control pills and nearly 75% of women using contraceptive rings no longer pay any out-of-pocket costs for this at all. And the, the argument is, oh, that's good because it reduces unplanned pregnancies and things like that. All right, I, I'm not going to argue the value of contraception, not, not at all. But here's the reality of this. As a mandate, explain to me why a 40-year-old woman who works as a junior partner at a downtown Milwaukee law firm and pulls in a quarter million dollars a year, explain to me why she needs the rest of the people who are buying insurance to underwrite the cost of her birth control pills. It just it makes no sense to me to put it in as a requirement that first of all that that first of all that the taxpayers 
underwrite the cost of this for people who could pay for it themselves. Now, secondly, it makes no sense to me that someone who does not ever need that coverage, would never use it. Again, let's take the 62-year-old woman who's had the hysterectomy, doesn't need birth control coverage, never going to use the birth control coverage. Why should she be paying for something that she will never, ever, ever use? And the story I'm looking at, there's an estimate, according to the National Women's Law Center, that the in 2013, the, the mandate that there be essentially free birth control um, saved women $1.4 billion on birth control pills, $1.4 billion. Well, that's kind of a misleading number because somebody had to pay for that. Yes, and it, and it might be, again, that in my example, the 40-year-old woman who's pulling in a quarter million dollars a year as a junior partner at a law firm, yet she didn't have to reach into her own pocket and pay for her birth control pills. But that, And, yes, so that saved her, and her money, you know, that saved her, and she's part of that $1.4 billion. But the flip side of that is that $1.4 billion had to come from somewhere. And this is the problem with these overall mandates where we say, you've got to provide this, you've got to provide that, you've got to provide whatever. And most people or many people are never going to take advantage of it. I mean, imagine if that existed with regard to other things. Imagine if you had to you know, pay for stuff that you would never, ever use. You're putting a roof on your house, and um, I don't know, you decide that uh, you, you want to go with one of your traditional houses with the shingles and things like that, and you know, you're know you told, well, yes, we know that we're, you're putting shingles on the house, but you know we're going to p- impose an overall, a larger fee because you know we think the government should re- encourage people to have metal roofs, and metal roofs cost more, so we want you to pay more even though you're getting the shingles instead of the metal roof. That's the issue that's out there, and to me it's an issue of fundamental fairness. Trump is starting to roll these things back. I think actually that could be and that should be the, the future. When you look at the insurance market, figure out what you need. You should, I think, be able to buy things that fit your need, but you shouldn't be forced by the government to pay for things that you will never, ever use. We don't do it in other areas. Why do we do it for insurance, or at least particularly for health insurance? Okay, coming up in just a couple minutes, Capital Drive becomes a drag strip. What is going on? And then we're going to talk about this whole Trump-Russia connection. Does anybody really care? Stick around. That's all coming up. It's 9.59. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 10.08. This is Jeff Wagner. Jane, don't go anywhere. Okay. We have, um, you, you and I, we, we've gone out, you know, for, for pizza and stuff yes. in the past, right, occasionally. And, yes. And um, we, we've gone we, we've gone to some, some nice places, like, right? All right. Have you seen, you heard about this, this, this pizza place in Chicago called Bottled Blonde? No. All right. Okay. Now, here it. All right, here, here's the deal. Um, this is one of these kind of hip and trendy pizza places in River North, that section of Chicago. Okay? Sure, sure. This, this is their dress code. This story is making the rounds on the Internet. And I'm, I'm going to actually open up the phone lines on this, but I want your reaction first. This is the dress code that is posted outside the thing. And uh, would you agree with me that, I mean, it, it, sometimes it's nice to have a little bit of a dress code to make sure that it's Absolutely. not. Absolutely. Okay, all right. Sure. All right. Now, bear with me. It's going to take a minute or two. This is hand in the air. I'm not making this up. This is the dress code for the restaurant. I will read this to you. 
and it's going to take a minute. Bottled Blonde, that's the restaurant, will maintain a classy atmosphere and reserves the right to refuse service to anyone. A high standard of dress is required at all times. Dress code is on a case-by-case basis and is in the sole discretion of the door staff. In all instances, the door staff's decision is final. If denied entry, changing your appearance will not change the decision. The following lists are guidelines and are subject to change at any time without notice. No bad attitudes or behavior. No excessively baggy, sagging, ripped, dirty, frayed, overly flashy, or bright clothing. No matching colors of the shoes, hat, and or shirt. No Hawaiian. I'm wearing a Hawaiian (laughs) shirt now. Okay, so I am now out of... (laughs) No Hawaiian, tie-dye, floral, skull prints, or anything else obnoxious. Is this shirt obnoxious? No. Okay, all right, all right. No gang attire, leather cuts, colors, or insignias, and no camouflage. No embellishments or statement jackets, shirts, beanies, or hats. No rude, vulgar, or offensive clothing. No overly large purses or bags. Um, then it's shirts and jackets. Let's see. It's kind of crumpled here. Um, no, no plain white tees, no long tees, no denim, no flannel, not even around one's waist, or zippers on shirts. No cut-off shirts, shirts. Um, no deep V-necks, um, no mesh shirts, tank tops before 6 p.m. only. It goes on and on. Um, no, <laughs> right, no puffer quilted jackets or vests, um, no novelty sweaters. Okay, so Christmas time, you're not there. Um, no hoodies underneath shirts or jackets. I'm not making pants. No overalls, cargo, bleached, acid-washed, odd-colored, or leather pants. No jogger, um, no deep crotch pants, no pants with numerous zippers, no athletic wear. (laughs) You think I'm making this up. I'm actually kind of skipping through this. Shoes, no Jordans, no Nike, no Air Max, no Air Force Ones, no high tops, no high socks, or other athletic sneakers. Um, let's see. Dress boots must be fully laced up. Shoes are required at all times. Miscellaneous. Hats must be worn forward at all time. Um, no brimless headgear. No male jewelry. Chains are not allowed in the establishment at all. Um, no visible tattoos on neck, face, or hands. That is their dress code. I am not making, well, Hondo says it's a black tie affair. I I don't even know, I, I guess, I mean, may, maybe, I mean, right, short of a tuxedo. Okay, so I'm, <laughs> is that the kind of place that you would go to? Who are they catering to? I, I mean, who's going to qualify? It, it just sounds like they want the ability to be able to turn anyone away who is not attractive enough for them. Well, yeah, but even even if you're attractive enough, I mean, no white tees, no long tees, no denim. I mean, well, and I know no V-necks, so we're all no deep be, V-necks. No, yeah, right. so we're all in black turtlenecks and black yoga pants. Uh, yeah, but of course, no, no, yeah, yo, yeah yoga pants. I oh, think are athletic wear, so I think that's I think that that's out there. Um, no, because no. Right, no jogging pants. So, I mean, I, that would be Probably. that different than, than no, yoga it's, pants. No, it's close to the same thing. No Jordans, no Nike, <laughs> no, no, no Hawaiian shirts, no tie-dye shirts, no floral shirts. I wear floral shirts during the, the summer. Um, well, there was I, something about no bright colors. No, right, yes. 
Yes, no, no, right, no, um, no excessively baggy, sagging, ripped, dirty, frayed, overly flashy, or bright clothing. <laughs> no matching colors of the shoes, hat, and or shirt. So if I've got a blue polo shirt on and I'm wearing a blue baseball cap like my Brewer's cap, that probably doesn't fit in either. I, I'm just dumbfounded <laughs> on who they think is going to show up there. Um, right. Well, and see it now. This is this is making the rounds of the internet. The place is called Bottle Blonde, and the argument you know, people are saying this is racist because that this is like the no hoodies and stuff, and this is targeted to trying to keep blacks out and things like that. I, I I don't know that I think that's fair because I think this is targeted to keeping everybody out. Yes, I would agree <laughs> I mean, with you. I, I mean, yeah, yes, it it is probably targeted, and, and yes, young black males. This probably you know if you're going to use a stereotype, this probably you know hits almost every type of clothing that, that they would be wearing, but it hits almost any type of clothing that anybody, anybody wears. Wear. Absolutely. Yeah. What, do we all show up in swimsuits Then they have to let us in? I, uh, you, you know, I mean, I, I'm just kind of looking at, okay, no, no Hawaiian shirts. I mean, I, I, I kind of wearing this. Okay, I have, you know, I have pants. I have cargo pants. I mean, I wear the cargo pants because I like the pockets. Okay, so I guess the bottom line is, of all the different places, if you and I are ever in Chicago together, um, bottled blonde is probably not going to be on our, our hit list. I've heard that Chicago has more than one place to get pizza. <laughs> and we're going to probably be at that. Yeah, just bottled blonde. I mean, um, I, I just, I'm reading through this dress code. And again, the, the story, if, if you look this up, if you are internet active and you care and you Google this, you know, you, you'll see again that the, the pitch is that they're being lambasted for a racist dress code. Um, and that's what caught my attention. First, the headline is racist red dress code that bans hoodies and baggy pants. Okay, that that's fine. But then I started to get into it, and it's not just I, – I, it's not hoodies and baggy pants. It's pretty much I, – I don't, I don't know unless – I don't know who would qualify um, for this as all. Oh, and also no male jewelry. So does that mean, guys, you got to take your wedding rings off? You know, no no chains around your neck. So if you've got, I don't know, chain around your neck, um, I don't know. Bottom line is, I suspect that uh, I suspect that this place. We all want a nice environment, but I suspect that this place isn't going to be in business too long with this attitude. Okay, when we come back, drag racing on Capitol Drive. What's going on? Stick around. It's ten sixteen. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. It is 1018. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I am so very glad to have you with us. Um, grilling season is here. What are Weber's most popular recipes? John McCure gets you set for the weekend at 420. Tune in during Wisconsin's afternoon news. It will be outstanding. Okay. Um, I, I, we, we've talked about this before. There are main thoroughfares in the city of Milwaukee that if you drive across them, you take your life into your hands, into your own hands. And I, and I don't mean, I don't mean, I'm not talking right now about the carjackings and the, the, the fact that if you stopped at a red light, somebody might come up and stick a gun in your face. That, that's, that's, a, that's a possibility. There's no question about it. But there's many, many streets now where it's just dangerous to drive because of the other drivers. I mean, I've, I've told stories before, you know, cutting across, 
you, if, if you want to go from the east side to you know the west side of town to, to try to go across Capitol Drive nowadays, I mean, good luck. Um, same thing true with Hampton, Silver Spring to an extent, and the further south you get, I mean, good luck, North Avenue. You, you try to drive on these routes, and, and what you see, and it's not just bad driving. It, there, there's always bad drivers out there, but it is degree of reckless driving, which I don't think I have ever seen. And I, I've told the stories about, you know, you're driving down the road, and you see people literally, you, you know, if the speed limit is 35 miles an hour, you speed, see people driving 70 and 80 miles an hour in the bike lanes, weaving in and out of traffic. I told the story the other day, I was stopped at a red light at um, 92nd and Silver Spring, Guy next to me, I'm in the right lane, he's in the left lane. Guy next to me, there's pedestrians in the crosswalk. Um, guy next to me stops at the red light, looks left, looks right, floors it. Just, you know, goes through the intersection, just barely misses cars that are coming either way, barely misses hitting somebody who's crossing. And, and they just, they don't care. And a lot of times what you see is this bad driving. It's not just one person. And I look, I recognize a lot of times it's stolen cars and it's kids that are, um, you know, driving around in a reckless fashion, doing the joyriding. But a lot of times, the other things you see is it's not just one car. It's it's kind of like a game with you know people driving incredibly quickly. So story on today's TMJ four. Um, it, it's gotten it's gotten so bad that there's now flyers that are circulating promoting drag racing meetup spots. Here's the story on today's TMJ4. Community members in Milwaukee neighborhoods are fed up with speeding drivers and street racing on their roads. A flyer is circulating on Facebook publicizing drag racing meetup spots at the Midtown Center, which is 55th and Capitol Drive. You go across Capitol Drive, you do take your life into your own hands, and 76th and Mill Road. Concerned neighbors don't want any innocent people to get hurt, and um, you know they quote one of the women who lives in the area saying, we don't understand why it's going on. It's an ongoing problem, very sad. It's dangerous, and it's not just dangerous to the people that are street racing. It's dangerous you know, to, you know, everybody. They quote another guy who says, hey, you know, people want to drive fast. They don't care about anybody else's life, but you do have to think about others and their families. The older woman for the area says, um, yeah, she, she's aware of this, um, and, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out, you know, what to do. MPD is aware of what's going on. The community is aware. The elected officials are aware. The community activists are aware. Everybody is on high alert. All right, that's great. Everybody knows about it. So now we're strategizing how we can deter this behavior. In other words, let me translate. Everybody knows this stuff is going on. Everybody understands you've got the people that are driving recklessly. Everybody's got the idea. Everybody knows it's an issue with people driving really, really fast and doing the racing and all this irresponsible stuff. Everybody knows it. The police know it. The community knows it. The elected officials know it. The community activists are aware. Everybody is on high alert. So now we are strategizing how we can deter this behavior. Let me translate. Everybody knows about it, but we don't have a clue as to what we can do to stop it. We're strategizing. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. I have some ideas as to what can be done. First of all, huge police presence in the areas where this is going on. Secondly, vigorous enforcement, including chasing, because right now it is a joke. 
if you are just driving recklessly and you drive away from the cops, they will not follow you unless they have evidence to believe that you were involved in a carjacking or something like that. So 90 miles an hour, blowing through a red light, they just drive away. And you will not be followed as a result of the stupid police policy that's out there. Number three is, after you chase and after you catch, you take away the cars and you prosecute people. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I mean, the, the inmates are literally running the asylum. And if I lived on one of these streets where you had this type or anywhere near one of these streets where you had this type of behavior going on, strategizing about how to deal with it is not an adequate solution. And candidly, when you talk about quality of life issues, this is one of the things that I believe is driving people out of the city of Milwaukee as fast as they can because... It's now just, it's not just, hey, you know, your car is going to get carjacked or stolen if you leave it running in front of your house at, when it's 10 degrees below zero, but it's if you are trying to drive down any street or major thoroughfares, you take your life into your own hands and authorities don't have a clue as to how to deal with it. This is, this is a big deal, in my opinion. Let's start with Lou in Milwaukee. Lou, you're first. Good afternoon. Good morning. I'm sorry. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking the call. I sure. have an office on 62nd and Capitol Drive, and it's a nightmare. The, the problem is is that there's no respect for the speed limits, the people. There's guys running down, up and down the street, men and women. They go in and out. All, all they need to do, and they did it a couple of times, is just put like three or four speed police officers, like on 54th, right. 58th, 64th. But they're there for a day, and then they're gone. Right, and then and so then two days later, all the speeders and reckless drivers are back. Right. The, the, the thing that's the most crazy is they'll come up to the corner on 60th and Capitol, right. and they see a red light, and they'll pull into the gas station, the Citgo station, and go around it and come back out on the street and cross in front of everybody. <laughs> and a um, majority of these cars don't have license plates on them, right. and they just are going crazy. So put four or five police officers out there. Right. And and, and thanks. I'm sorry. I think your cell phone just cut out. Right. Okay. This is from somebody who's got his office, you know, right in in that area. This is not a made up thing. This is not one or two people, you know, complaining, hey, kids, get off my lawn. This is a major, a major public safety issue. And, gee, we're strategizing about it. That's not acceptable. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We continue the conversation. How big a problem is this and how much of a priority does it need to be? I think, you know, priority 1A. Ten twenty-eight. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Vincent on the northwest side. Vincent, good morning. I don't know if you remember, uh, uh, it was early 2000s, late 90s, when uh, Donald Capitol Drive and Sherman had a problem with their cruising. And what police did to make... Uh, uh, Vincent, I'm sorry, i got to let you go. There's something going on with your cell phone. Um, yeah, you, you were talking about, like, the cruising problem, and, and that was... We, we started to get aggressive about it because, you know, cruisers were taking over Capitol Drive, cruisers were taking over Highway 100, and there, there's always... There's always going to be issues with cruising, and I, I get that. Again, I don't want to sound like the, hey, kids, get off my lawn. But it, it's it's one thing to have areas where there's cruising. It's another thing to have areas where, well, I mean, the cars are just 
all over the place. And but this isn't cruising. This is you know this is cars driving 70, 80 miles an hour. This is organized or semi-organized drag races. We're talking about 76th Street around Mill Road. You're talking about Capitol Drive. Not to mention the regular carnage that's on the highway. At some point in time, you gotta say enough is enough. Gary in Sussex. Gary, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Gary. Uh, I got a couple of comments. Uh, one of them would be to have an uh, automatic one year in jail, confiscate yeah. the car, and sell it. Yeah. Then also have them, uh, for each time that there's a car accident, a fatality, have them go to the morgue, take yeah. them to the morgue, show them the bodies, and then take them over to the homes when you have to tell the parents that their child was killed or, yeah. or something like that. And let them witness this. What the, yeah. the real carnage is, because Jeff, I see it all the time. I work in a city. I'm a heating contractor. I'm sitting at stoplights, and the, yeah. you're exactly right. They just they stop and they just blow right through the stop sign, and they they pass on the right. You know, I see right. it just like you do. Well, yeah, and, right, and and Gary, and of course, and they know, and they, they know with the Milwaukee Police Department lack of pursuit policy that you know if they run away, they're not going to be chased unless there's evidence that they've committed some sort of violent crime or or whatever. So that means that most of the people just end up driving away and ultimately they end up hitting someone or abandoning a stolen car or crashing into a pole themselves. Meanwhile, law-abiding citizens take their life into their own hands. Where it starts is chasing, catching, seizing the cars and selling the cars. Start taking away cars, you will get people's attention, I guarantee it. Ten thirty six, Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. That's Mellencamp, he fought authority. <laughs> that's the authority song. WTMJ lets you experience Wisconsin's finest supper clubs at half price this week. And this is coming up in less than 90 minutes. Our featured supper club is the Main Mill in Menominee Falls, featuring homemade barbecue, tasty steaks, and a variety of signature dishes. You can enjoy them all on the Main Mill's elevated deck dining experience today. Today at 12 noon, you can get a $50 certificate for only $25. It's like stealing, but it's legal. These go quickly. We only have 100 available. Get yours today, starting at noon. You go to our, our main page, WTMJ.com, and you'll see a link that says WTMJ Supper Club Promotion. Um, you can also go to WTMJSupperClub.com, but it's easier to get to it off of our uh, main page. Be lined up at noon because they go very, very quickly. Um, just one final thought. I've been, or actually, our text line exploded on on the drag racing on Capitol Drive and on 76th and the whole quality of life issues Justin writes this is directly a result of the no chase minimal traffic enforcement policy of MPD where thugs now feel there's no real consequences to driving um, however they want without regard to common sense or preservation of life and property it's like the road warrior has morphed into reality in Milwaukee the only answer will be return to heavy enforcement and prosecution yes and this is by the way it's not an indictment of rank and file Milwaukee police officers what it is it's indictment of policies it is a ludicrous policy that the chief of police has a politically correct policy crafted with the mayor that lets people drive away i understand the concern is well you know we don't want innocent civilians getting hurt okay fine i appreciate that which is why you need to do this on a case-by-case basis but what has happened is the thugs the reckless the irresponsible 
know about this and have exploited it. And, I mean, I understand how frustrating it is. If you wonder why you know, police see some of this behavior and they do nothing, it's because they're, they're not allowed to do anything. All right, you go by some police officer at 85 miles an hour, you blow through the red light, you almost hit a couple people. Well, okay, they're not going to follow you because they know they're not going to be allowed to chase you. And then there is the other side of the story as well. Even if they do somehow manage to catch the people and they're driving a stolen car or whatever, you you turn them over to the joke that is the Milwaukee County court system and nothing's going to happen to them anyways. So that's the the frustration. You do wonder how many people are going to die, um, how many people are going to be seriously injured before the powers that be wake up around here. The older woman for the area saying, hey, we're all aware of it. We're strategizing. What the hell does that mean, strategizing? Um, On our text line, Kevin from Belgium. Hey, Jeff, it's Kevin from Belgium. I think it will take a couple of fatalities for the police department to do their job. Well, we we have fatalities on a regular basis. Jake in Milwaukee texts, I got shot last year because of reckless driving. I was on my way home from work when a car tried racing past me on 76th and Hampton. They couldn't get in. They ended up chasing me down and shot at me multiple times, hitting me once in the arm. Cops arrested the owner of the vehicle, but nothing happened. Yeah, that's the story you hear a lot. Nothing ever happened. When you talk about quality of life, if you want to understand what's going on, well, these are these things. Okay, now I understand that for the next segment or two of the program, we got the week of review coming up at 1130. I, we could go off and talk again about the Trump-Russia connections and things like that. And there, there will be time to do that. There's lots of stuff that's out there. President Trump yesterday announcing that um, he wants to take his, his modified travel ban and wants to hear the Supreme Court decide whether or not it's constitutional. That's, to me, a good move, and I, I think you know it, it clearly is. We, we could talk about that. Or, given the fact that it's the unofficial start of summer, we could talk about some summer-related topics, take the foot off the gas a little. And, actually, I think that's what I'm going to do. Um, With summer comes all sorts of different fashion choices. Now, I started this hour off, I shared with you that that ridiculous dress code that they have at this pizza place in, in Chicago, which, if it's effort, if the effort is to target and keep gangbangers out, yeah, it, it might, but it would also keep pretty much everybody else out as well. I got I got an, a letter. This is an old this is a letter. Came in a mail yesterday from um, one of our listeners Pam who lives in in Milwaukee. Jeff, Memorial Day has passed mar- has passed, marking the unofficial start to summertime activities and festivals. There is a phenomenon that occurs during the season that I feel needs to be addressed. So I pen this jingle as a public service announcement that I'd like you to forward to your listeners. If making this announcement saved just one pair of eyes, the effort is well worth it. Now, I have a couple, like Wagner's Rules of Life. Wagner's Rule of Life number three is, when it comes to clothing, and I apply this to myself as well, If they just because they make it in your size doesn't mean that you should buy it. I mean, it's just, it's like... Well, let's face it. I mean, guys, you know, if you're going to wear a muscle shirt, you need to have muscles. That That's just it. Um, ladies and gentlemen, spandex above like like size 14. The orange spandex just isn't going to be a good look. I mean, it just it just doesn't matter. And that's not body shaming. It's just kind of it. So anyhow, here's here's what Pam sent me. This is her little jingle. So. 
You can take your shirt off, woo-woo for you, but heed these words before you do. If your man boobs flap and your gut hangs low, keep it covered. Don't let it show. The sight of your flab is just plain icky. It makes those around you feel nauseous and sicky. Do you really think we want to see your rolls of blubber flying loose and free? The answer is a resounding no way. Dude, keep your shirt on are the words we pray. Amen. And then she goes on to write, P.S. Another sight that's really scary is a guy strutting around with a torso all hairy. Okay, so that's that's Pam's sentiment. The USA Today has has a story that says, guys, if you want a date, ditch these fashion fails. All right, so this is today. These are things that, and it's, and it's advice that they are trying to give us guys if you're out there looking for dates. So these are these are fashion fails. Let's see. Cargo shorts. They're dumpy and dorky, silly and bulky, and way too long, usually falling so far past the knees that grown men end up looking as if they have short little elf legs. Um, the bigger problem is that the shorts are completely inauthentic in that nobody else except maybe MacGyver or Indiana Jones needs that many pockets. And the men who insist on these shorts are, alas, neither MacGyver or Indiana Jones. Yet to this may of people of fashion, men have continued to wear cargo shorts, apparently unconcerned about their appearance and also unconcerned about being authentic. So cargo shorts are apparently a, a no-no. Flip-flops and sandals. Men, your feet are gross. Sorry, guys, but it's true. And no one wants to see your hairy toes and ragged toenails. So this is a situation of aesthetics. Also, flip-flops are not shoes and should not be worn outside of your backyard or cottage retreat or beach barbecue because they are just too casual for anywhere else. This is also a situation of appropriateness. The story continues. Muscle shirts or tank tops. I've said this before, I'll say it again, armpit hair is icky. Few people, if any, want to be confronted by it every time you raise your arm to reach for something. And no one wants to be smothered by it during an embrace. It's not only unsightly, it creates a weird sort of forced intimacy. Fashion fails for men. Backward sunglasses, backward baseball caps. Do you have eyes in the back of your head? No, so there's no need to wear these items backwards. Doing so makes you look ridiculous. Another fashion no-no, athletic shorts as casual wear. Yes, they're comfortable, but so are boxer briefs, and you don't want those in lieu of pants, do you? (laughs) It's actually pretty good. The point is there's a time and a place for most things, and the time and a place for those athletic shorts, those long and voluminous athletic shorts, which, by the way, always look as if they are weighted down by sweat, even if they are not, is Saturday morning at the gym. And then dull, dingy, formerly white T-shirts. Use bleach. Use OxyClean. White T-shirts are classic. Think Springsteen, James Dean. A man who appreciates and respects classic is a good man. All right, so these are the various suggestions. Things that are icky. Dating no-nos. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. What is your number one fashion faux pas during the, the summer? That you see people, and again, I'm, I'm picking on guys because these, these are what the things say. But the number one fashion faux pas, the number one thing that drives you nuts is you're walking around Summerfest, you're walking around State Fair, you're walking around the ethnic festivals, you're wherever you are. What is the number one fashion faux pas? That look that you say, 
gee, I wonder why that person thought that that was a particularly good look. Your number one fashion faux pas that you see in the summer. And we do this as a cautionary tale for people who might be out there dating. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're back with your calls in a minute. Stick around. It's 1046. It's 10.50. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. See, I'm paying attention to this stuff, these fashion fails now. I mean, I, I'm dating again, you know, so I mean, you, you got to be mindful of that. And I, actually, this thing about cargo shorts kind of caught my attention. I do, I do have cargo shorts. I, I, I actually do like the pockets. I wear them sometimes when I play golf because they've got pockets for the tees and things like that. I I don't think they make me look like I have little uh, tiny elf legs, but, you, you know, but I'm, I'm now thinking about this this stuff. You know, I, I'm, I'm now sort of thinking about this stuff. Um, okay, these are like the fashion faux pas and tips. Let's see. Men, these are on our text line. The waistband on your pants belongs around your waist, not your butt. Uh, Courtney in Stevens Point writes, uh, let's see, there's a theme here. Okay, these are fashion fails. Plumbers crack, male or female, all year actually, but summer seems more prevalent. Um, Bill, his fashion fail, says men and women in their 40s and 50s who dress like 20-year-olds. Yeah, that's 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 definitely a thing, too. You know, age-appropriate clothing, nothing wrong with that. Okay, what is your, what is your turnoff? If you're advising people that are out there, you know, that are dating, that are trying to, I don't know, be presentable, look attractive to members of the opposite sex. What's that one piece of advice that you would give them as the summer season rolls around? Pepper in Racine. Pepper, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Um, I have two, one for each of our genders. Um, for guys, it's the compression shirts <laughs> or athletic wicking shirts yeah. where they've got this huge belly. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just skin tight around it, so it just shows. Hey, look at my big globe that I'm wearing. Yeah, yeah. look, I, I, I've got a watermelon that I'm carrying around there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That yep. is so unattractive. Yep. And then for the women, it normally happens with uh, more light colored slacks, but when they're wearing slacks that kind of cling, and the underwear that they're wearing are the regular standard briefs that cut right across the middle of the cheeks, <laughs> and Kind of pull them in a little bit yep. so you can see the two halves of each cheek. Yeah, the, the clingy athletic they shorts. They never turn around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the exactly. clingy athletic shorts. No, I, thanks, thanks for calling. I got it. Um, Mary in Thienesville. Mary, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi there. Hi, Mary. I absolutely hate saggy pants. And now some of the people, are, the men, are wearing them almost to their knees. But you see their entire underwear. <laughs> I don't really care what they have <laughs> for underwear, and I don't want to see their butt cheeks hanging out. I, I was. And th- this is this is a true story. I was at a restaurant with the woman I'm dating. We, we were at a restaurant about a month or so ago, and we were waiting for the table. So we're sitting at the bar, and there's a guy a couple of stools down at the bar, who who's okay. You've you've got the, the boxer shorts, and honest to God, I'm honest to God, the pants are are mid hip. And yes. I, I mean, they're, they're, they're mid hip and I watch the guy stand up and you can't walk. I mean, it's kind of like, well, it must be like, okay, if, like a woman in a really, really tight mini skirt where it's all compressed. And the guy is just like kind of waddling back and forth because the pants are literally like mid hip. And I, I'm, I'm looking at this and I, I actually said to him, I, I said to a friend, I said, 
it, tell me from from a woman's perspective, is this a good look? Do you look yeah. at this and say, "Hey, this is a really sexy guy that's out there"? And, <laughs> I mean, it, it just. I mean, it just it just doesn't work for me, and I don't think it. I mean, maybe there's somebody who can pull it off, but I don't. Um, I don't think so. Okay, let's see. Is this um, uh, okay? Donna in Heartland on the text line. Um, her fashion advice. Women that have large chests and wear those cami tops, they have no built-in support, and the thin straps are not able to hold everything in. (laughs) James in Milwaukee writes his fashion faux pas. Teens and adults wearing pants, shorts, sagging off their rear ends where their underwear boxers show. I want to walk around with a rope and scissors and make belts everywhere I go because I can't stand watching them constantly pulling them up and down. Nobody wants to um, see that. Yeah, there there is kind of a theme that's developing. Mary in Waukesha. Mary, you're in 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Well, good morning. You know what? A a few previous callers have rather stolen my thunder, but the one thing, and and I did have stuff for both men and women, (laughs) but as men age, they develop ear hair and nose hair. (laughs) And I I, I can tell you, I have a client who has the worst (laughs) confluence of ear hair and nose hair. I can't believe his wife is still married to him. (laughs) And nobody says anything to him. You want to get in there with a lawnmower and go after it, huh? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Uh, you know what? I can't even look at him at all. I cannot. I, I can't concentrate yep. on talking to his wife, but I can't do it. And I cannot believe that his barber hasn't done something to help him out. <laughs> well, and, you, you know, so, you, you can go to the drugstore and pick up one of those little trimmers, just, just the, yep. the handheld trimmers for less than five bucks, and you can take care of the problem. Yeah, that no, they, 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 Yeah, thanks. Yes, and see, this is see, this is why we're we're trying. I'm not trying to single out any particular gender here, but uh, the the different fashion. I, again, for guys, I I do think there's a reason why God made shirts, and there there's some guys that look really really good without shirts. But the truth is, for most of us. Um, you know, God made shirts for a particular reason, and and that's and that reason is because well, it's one thing if you're at the beach; it's another thing if you're wandering around State Fair. So, all right, USA Today, guys, if you want to date, if you want to date, ditch these fashion fails. Cargo shorts were one of them. Muscle shirts or tank tops, backwards sunglasses, athletic shorts as casual wear, and uh, dull white T-shirts that aren't white anymore. I think there's a theme and a pattern that's developing. Just trying to help out. This is Dr. Jeff's advice to the lovelorn. It's 1056. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1108. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, Mr. Met update. We talked about this yesterday. Um, the and We still have this up on the text line. If you text the word Met, you can see this video. Does that still work? But it, 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 people have seen it by now. Um, the, the Two nights ago... Wednesday night, the you know Brewers are beating the New York Mets. It's like seven to nothing. It's kind of a crummy night in New York. New York fans are not the most compassionate fans, anyways, and so they're in a bad mood. They're 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 in a bad mood. It's Shea Stadium, which is a crummy state or sit used to be it's sit, Sitco Park now, but kind of a crummy stadium. That the team is losing. There's not many people there, and the, the Mets have the the mascot. This it, and. And, and again, this is, I hope I'm not spoiling things, but um, it's actually a costume. There, there's a person inside the costume. There's actually not somebody that walks around with like a giant baseball head. So there, there's a person there. And what happened is there, there was this videotape that went viral 
of the the guy. It turns out to be a guy. The guy who's in the Mets costume turning around as he's walking like uh, into the concourse and making an what appears to be an obscene gesture. Now, the, the costume only has four digits on the hand, not five, but it's clear that, you know, <laughs> what, what he's doing, and it's caught on video, and there's this laugh. Well, more is coming out about this, and um, a, a fan seated near this incident says, okay, here, here's what was, was happening. that This mascot was there for a good portion of the night, and um, you had a bunch of Mets fans who were screaming obscenities at the mascot for the better part of of the game. Mr. Met was being heckled all night from these fans. My guess is that alcohol was involved. Security spoke with the fans after it, after the, about it, after the handler spoke up, but that didn't stop them from doing it. So you've got a bunch of drunk, rude, crude, crass, out-of-control New Yorkers who are screaming crap at <laughs> whoever is like wearing this this Mets uniform? Um, you know that the guy that heard this said, "I do know that the fans were cursing at Mister Met with the F word and saying derogatory things about Mister Met's mom." <laughs> so after you know putting up with this for a good portion of the game. Um, on his way out, as a parting gesture, the guy who's probably making like nine bucks an hour to walk around wearing the stupid costume and has gotten sick of this does make the obscene, you know, gesture. The guy who said this all said it, it happened. Uh, it triggered something that recently happened. It was his breaking point. And and again, I, I understand from the perspective of the Mets that you, you, you don't want your mascot doing this. All right. I get it. But but the flip side of this is and there is this sort of larger point that's out there. If. I don't care whether it's baseball or football or basketball or hockey or whatever, soccer, whatever. If you have these drunken, out-of-control fans, you've got to get a handle on it. And I'm not justifying what the mascot did, but that, that is kind of the larger point. Even in New York, nobody wants to go and be around this. I mean, how tedious does it get? When you're in the stands, you paid money, you're watching this game, and there's a bunch of loudmouthed, leather-lunged drunks behind you. And I don't care whether it, – maybe it's cute the first or second time that they, they yell that, but after a while, it just gets old. And this is the type of thing that you know, – maybe this is just what passes for you know, everyday occurrences you know, in, in New York – but it's one of the things that security at any sort of stadium has to get a handle on. The cops have to get a handle on because it, it ends up spoiling everybody's experience. And, I mean, again, I'm not justifying the mascot, but, I mean, I can imagine you're making 8 or 9 or $10 an hour. You're standing there. You're wearing the stupid costume. You're supposed to engage with fans, and you have a bunch of drunken loudmouths that are screaming obscenities at you for the better part of a couple hours. I understand maybe while heading out, you know, you might be inclined to respond in a particular way. So not justifying it, but I am explaining it, and it raises the larger point. I told this story before. I, this is Jason Kidd, who's now the Bucks coach. Jason Kidd was playing. I was at a Bucks game a long while ago. He was a player. And the summer before or something like that, he, he'd, he'd been cited or arrested or something like that for like a spousal thing, a domestic thing. This isn't with his current wife. And there was a guy a row behind me. Every time Jason Kidd touched the ball, the guy screamed out at the top of his lungs, wife beater, except he yelled it. Wife beater over and over and over again. Now, I'm not sure it was ever clever. 
But if it was clever, it would have been maybe the first time. This went on for the entire game. And, you know, it's just everybody's. And then, of course, everybody's like turning around and looking at the guy going, just shut up. But he thought he was cute. No, I paid for my ticket and I get to do it. That's that is, I think, one of the aggravating things that might make people be less inclined to go to sporting events because people can be jerks. All right. New numbers are out on Wisconsin job creation. They are not good when it comes to manufacturing. What do they mean and what's the problem? We discuss next. It's 1114. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1117. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. A lot of people must not have seen this Mr. Met making the obscene gesture because our our text line is exploding. Yeah, if you text the word Met, M-E-T, to 414-799-1620, we'll we'll send you the video. It's, It's actually... it. It, it made me laugh. I, I understand I'm supposed to be appalled by it, but it, the truth is, it it made me laugh. And I, especially if you hear more about it, and I, I can imagine, you know, you're, you know, you're probably making close to minimum wage. You're wearing this stupid costume, and you're sitting there in New York. It's a lousy game, and you have a bunch of drunken Mets fans that are screaming obscenities at you. I mean, for a long while, I understand how it would kind of get old. And we all say, oh, you're supposed to be above it. Well, okay, sometimes no. All right, there's a really interesting dichotomy that's going on. Wisconsin right now has an unemployment rate that's, um, well, I tell you, it's a 17-year it's low. The unemployment rate as of April was 3.2%. Um, 2009, the unemployment rate was 9.2%. It's down to 3.2%. And that's that's pretty close to no unemployment at all. And by that I mean there's always there's this level, it's what they call structural unemployment, which is there's always going to be some people built into the system who are unemployed because you're 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 between jobs. You know, wh- whatever. You you've you know you're you're taking some time off to raise your kids, so you're you're unemployed. You're um taking the summer off because of whatever, you're starting a new job, so you're gonna be unemployed. Once you start getting well, three point two percent isn't quite there, but once you start getting much below that, you're 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 talking about essentially full employment. Now, there's some numbers out today. That, that say they're, they're kind of difficult to explain when you look at these unemployment numbers. And it talks about how in the manufacturing section, um, you know, job in Wisconsin, job creation has been lagging. Wages and employment, this is the way the story in the Journal Sentinel reads, wages and employment fell sharply in 2016 in Wisconsin's manufacturing um, session. Um, they talked about how this is kind of confusing for people. Um, according to the latest data, in 2016 for that year, Wisconsin added about 1,600 private sector jobs. The state's hiring gains amounted to an increase of only 0.5%, um, and manufacturers lost 3,700 jobs in the 12-month period, which amounts to a 0.8% decline in employment in the section sector. So manufacturing isn't that robust. It's also making people wonder, are, are we on the verge of another recession because there's been tax cuts, there's been all sorts of incentives to encourage business to develop, and yet we're lagging a bit behind in Wisconsin. Now, there's some people who are going to say, oh, this is a failure of Scott Walker's policies and all. I think there's something else 
that's going on. And I think when it comes to a decline in manufacturing jobs, the principal concern is I think there's a lack of there's a lack of appropriately trained and skilled workers to to take those jobs. I mean, I, I think if obviously if if there aren't workers who are in a position to to do the job, well, you know, you're not going to be able to to hire them. And at least my I, my sense is that one of the biggest problems is that to the extent that there are jobs that are available, you know, there, there's not people with appropriate skill levels to take those jobs. And and I guess I, I base this sort of on a gut feeling, and maybe it's anecdotal. I talk to a lot of people in the manufacturing business. I, I run into a lot of people who have maybe small businesses, and their biggest complaint is that they cannot find people, particularly young people, who either, number one, want to work in these various trades, or number two, if they take the job, um, have the work ethic to continue to show up to the job, or number three, if the job requires a, a little bit of skill, they just don't have that because they're not getting that background. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, obviously, obviously manufacturing jobs in general are good family-sustaining type of jobs. It's work that you want to see grow. And if you're going to have an economy grow, you, you need to have those manufacturing jobs. I think there's various reasons why Wisconsin might be struggling. But I think pretty close to the top is the fact that there's a lot of people who just don't want to, for whatever reason they think those jobs are beneath them or they don't want to work hard or they don't want to do it and then number two don't have the training to do the job 414-799-1620 is the number what do you think we discuss next it's eleven twenty-two. jeff wagner 620 wtmj it's eleven twenty-four. jeff wagner 620 wtmj jeff and jefferson jeff good morning morning jeff well I was a machinist for many, many, many years, and um, I learned it in high school, mm-hmm. okay? And a lot of the vocational stuff has been gutted from our high schools. Um, I'm not in that field anymore, but there's hardly any young people that I would trust to represent me right. out in the field. Um, either they don't want to show up on time... Right. They don't know how to read a tape measure. I <laughs> right. mean, it, it, it's ridiculous. Um, you know, and, my, and, always, and I, will, I will tell you, Jeff, I mean, I talk to people who, even if they've got their own training programs and stuff, I mean, and by the way, I, I agree with you about the vocational stuff and how important that is as an option in high school. But I talk to people who, you know, even if they offer their own apprenticeship programs or stuff like that, they, they, they can't find people who are interested in it who will show up more than a few days in a row and then they quit or they walk off or whatever. Well, you know, there's only so many computer programmers for CNCs. Yeah. You still need to understand how it works and how the tools interact with the material. Sure. And I learned the manual way. Yeah. Okay? And, and then you learn how to program, and, yeah, you know how to read a program, but you also know what the machine is doing. Right. It's, 
Right. I just wish they would bring back and stress that again so that maybe we could be the manufacturing powerhouse that we used to be. Right. No, and I, and I think, I mean, it's a, it's a complicated issue, and that's, that's a tie into it because I, I do think you're right. I think part of this thing over the years, there's now some, there's some stigma that's, that's developed towards the trades, towards the manufacturing industry. And the truth of the matter is, not everybody can be a doctor, not everybody can be a lawyer, not everybody can sell insurance, not everybody can be a radio talk show host. And you can go out and you can make a really good living, especially if you, look, I have no aptitude when it comes to HVAC or plumbing or electric. I, I, but I know who to call to do that, and I depend on the people to call. There's going to be a lot of people out there, and, and yet whether it's it's those type of jobs or whether it's the the jobs you know producing the things that we all need. I, I talk to manufacturer after manufacturer, small business, and people who make hiring decisions for larger businesses, and they're frustrated because they can't find people who are interested, even if they offer the type of training that's there. Scott in New Berlin. Scott, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Yes, I am in the trades and work with a lot of trades, and uh, most of them are union trades. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard pressed to find a guy who's not hitting that hundred thousand dollar mark with benefits and uh, wages. But uh, my issue is that the other thing is, especially when it comes to CNC and some of the wor- and welders, mm-hmm. a lot of these small mom and pop shops. You know, I have a friend that uh, is an executive for an oven company that needs welders, and he goes, "You know, we start these guys at fifteen bucks an hour." And just for inflation, that's barely minimum wage. You know, they don't want to pay. I mean, a union welder is going to be a lot of times closer to the $30, and a pipeline welder is going to be 40 and 50 bucks an hour. Mm-hmm. And they want to pay $15 an hour, and that's the same for CNC. Starting at $12, $13 an hour, that is not a life-supporting wage. Well, what? Okay, but what? explain to me what's... What what's the option? Okay, let's say let's say I'm a welder. Let, let's let's use your example. I mean, I, I I'm a welder. There's only presumably so many jobs that are out there. They're going to pay forty bucks an hour. So I, I don't I don't want to work. I don't think it's worth my time to work at fifteen bucks an hour. What does that person do? I mean, what's what's the alternative? Because if, if you know if you're working as a clerk at a shopping center, you're going to be making nine dollars an hour, and it's a serious question I'm asking. I'm not trying to be flip. I mean, what what do you do if you're skilled in that oh, fashion? That's fair enough. Um, they shop around, you know, and that's why sometimes they'll go to these places for two weeks or three weeks, yeah. and then all of a sudden there's another guy that another company, you know, all of a sudden right. Wolf Manufacturing needs a welder at eighteen. Right. They're there for two weeks, and the next place is twenty two. And now there's a union shop that needs a welder, and then they're at 30. Yeah, and they move along. Well, I think that, I, I guess that's, I, I'm not sure that that's, that's somebody that's going to be employed and is going to be bouncing and bouncing around and moving, always trying to find a better job, which people are always going to be wanting to do. I, I think the, the larger point is, it, it's that even at that entry-level position, that, that 15 that, let, let's take your number, $15 or $20 an hour, whatever it would be, even at that entry-level position, they can't find people that are, that, are, that are willing to do it for that, and it's not like they have the skills to go next door. They're, they're just obviously choosing not to enter that particular profession, and I guess that's where, that's where you, I, I think it's part is going on. And for the better-paying jobs. I mean, you do need a certain skill level. You do need a certain training level. And I think one of the frustrations is, and it goes back to what our first caller was talking about when it comes to vocational education, there's a lot of people who've just kind of decided, all right, I I don't want to work with my hands. I don't want to do that. And the truth is, 
um, a lot of people have that aptitude. I mean, I've told this story before. At my high school, um, back when I graduated from Nicolet, they bragged about their college placement rate. They were putting a ton of people in college. They never told you what the graduation rate was, and that's because there were a lot of people that they were pushed into, you know, going to, like, liberal arts colleges or whatever, who should have been encouraged to do what they really did well, which is go into the trades where they had those different skills. It's 1135, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is the time of the week where I get to be the thorn between the two roses. It's the Week in Review. Susie Falk from Falk Group PR, Tracy Johnson from the Commercial Association of Realtors. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. Good morning. In addition, we uh, live stream this. We are live streaming on Facebook Live. So if you go to Facebook.com, 620 WTMJ, um, you can check it out. Susie waving to the crowd. Um in addition, we're going to try something new. Um, uh, if you want to, a little bit of participation. At the end of the program, we give our Right Stuff Awards. And if you have a nominee for Right Stuff Award, um, you know, you could just uh, send it to us via Facebook Live. And uh, we'll look at it and see if it makes the cut. Maybe we'll get a couple in there. But we're going to try to do that as well. That was um, our digital supervisor, Jay Sword. She said, let's try that out. So if you've got a Right Stuff nominee, you can send it if you're watching us on Facebook Live. All right. We can review. Topic number one. President Trump yesterday backs out of the Paris Climate Accord. If you read the newspapers today, heads are exploding all over the world. Good move, bad move, or doesn't it make any difference? Susie Falk. I think this was a politically very stupid move of his. I, well, he'll, he'll shore up his voters uh, for the next election, but he's going to lose a lot of voters. He, he's doing something that's really quite dumb, and that is he's, he's taking a step away from a leadership role on the world stage. And forget climate discussions for a minute. This is about going to regular meetings, dealing with leaders of other countries, and sitting there and talking about a problem that involves all of us. He's basically saying, you know, this is a bad deal. He's looking at it transactionally, which, as a business person, he would. But there's such a significant issue at hand. And what's happening is you're going to have leaders that are going to be filling in and stepping up and saying the things that need to be said. It's not an easy agreement. This accord, I understand, it's, it's, it's hard in force. Um, it's expensive to the U.S. Well, it's not enforceable. I mean, well, there's no, there's no requirement, okay. there's no enforcement measures at all to it, it. But it's, 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 it is a mission, and it's something that we need to participate in. And he's burying his head in the sand, and he says he would like to start over. You can't start over something like this. Well, I think people that whose heads are exploding are looking at this and saying he's in denial that that there should be changes to the climate. Now, politically, I think we all expected this. He said he was going to do this, and you're absolutely right. The people who support him are going to continue to. Support Support him, and I'm pretty sure that the people who don't support him are going to continue to not support him. Um, but at the end of the day, he's not denying climate change. What he's saying is this is a bad deal for the United States. And when you look at the numbers, the impact that actually being true to what he had committed to would cost for the U.S. and the workers and the different industries, not just coal. There's paper, uh, the paper industry. They talk about the cement industry, iron and steel industries. Um, there would be a tremendous impact. So I think he missed an opportunity, though, to say, 
here is my plan for going forward. How do we engage China? How do we engage India? Because right, all the, develop, the, people, the developing nations that are, are going to be the ones that are... They're, they're the problems right, here. They're right. the ones that are creating... And they signed the agreement, but you know they're not... I think reasonable people would say they're not going to follow through on that. Absolutely, and, and, and it would be different if the only people we did business with were the people in Europe. I mean, we're all kind of singing to the choir here, and um, I think he missed an opportunity, though, to, to take that leadership role, not by saying, okay, I'm just going to sign this and agree and go to these meetings, but to say, what am I going to do to make it better? Susie, you were suggesting you think that there's going to be political fallout. I do. Okay, in what way? In in a way that this is going to be a huge issue that, that's going to you know it's going to be raised in the 2018 elections. You know we're going to look at candidates and say, do you support what Donald Trump did on climate or or in the Paris Agreement or or don't you? And honestly, we have I I'm hopeful because. He is up for re-election, what, you know, in four years or less? 2020. Yeah, and we don't fully leave this accord for four years. So I do think that there's a chance we can salvage our role in, in this discussion, and and that is to vote against Donald Trump and to vote in someone that well, does I, understand well, that we need to be at the well, table. Well, you wait, don't but, run but, and hide but, but Barack and Obama, join wait, Russia wait, in Barack this. Obama, Barack Obama never sent this to... To, to be ratified by by the U.S. Senate, he tried to do it by executive order. Does that indicate that maybe this isn't as politically popular as some people might think outside the little, little bubble of the New York Times? Okay, what we need to do then is start educating the public that this is extremely important. Listen to the smartest the business, le- yeah, exactly. Listen to the smartest business leaders in this country. Okay, you, ha- you but they have shareholders. They they ha- they're backing out of uh, um, Trump's business advisory committee because this is such a stupid decision. Well, well including the diplomatic. CEO of Walt Walt Disney. Well, okay. Yeah. Um, um, Elon Musk said, no way, I'm, I'm getting away from this man. He's crazy. Okay, these are really smart business leaders. Yeah. Ford, the car companies, they're all saying they are supporting, you know, dealing with the, the climate change well, but, issue and but, creating but, smarter but, cars but, but that Susie, are, but Susie, the, the question are less polluting. The question isn't, do you deal with climate change? The question is, do you belong to this accord? Because the reality is... I mean, most of this is targeted at, at, at greenhouse gases produced by carbon, which is coal. The reality is, whether you have this agreement or not, right now coal is not economically desirable. Um, you, you have companies doing natural gas anyways. I mean, I guess my guess is three or four years from now, the U.S. with emissions is going to be just as, whether we participate or not, we're going to be in the same place. Well, and we have EPA rules and guidelines. I mean, we are leading. Again, I think people are getting, they're getting this this action confused with okay. anybody denying that the, that we need to be environmentally aware. Could could I let's separate out just a minute the issue of climate. W- talk about the issue of leadership, and for Donald Trump to say not going to go, we're we're done with this. Um, it. it a comparable is in the business world when you join an association or a networking group and you come together for a mission, okay? But there's so many other reasons you come to the table with that group of people. And back deals happen, you shore up your allies, you do things that just keep you playing in the game. He's basically saying, I don't want to sit at the table with the leaders. But he said of- that before. He This is what he uh, ran on. Right. I mean, he, he, he's, it, it's, I mean, maybe the better parallel is you have a, a former CEO of a company who commits you to some organization. And the new guy comes in and says, I just, I, I'm not, I'm not on board. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, it's perhaps the most talked about story of the week. Kathy Griffin 
um, making news. Stick around. It's 1142. Jeff Wagner, Susie Falk, Tracy Johnson. It's the Week in Review. It's 1146. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right. Uh, self-proclaimed D-list comedian Kathy Griffin goes to a photo shoot, poses, holding what appears to be a severed head of President Trump covered in blood. She thought it was clever, um, sends this photo out. There's initially some outrage. She then tries to you know, defend what she did. The outrage gets worse. She then issues an apology. The apology isn't really being accepted. CNN dropped her from the uh, New Year's Eve show. A number of concert uh, comedy bookings that she had, they're being canceled out. She's lost advertisers. All right. Um, Tracy Johnson, did she cross the line? I I think we have universal agreement that she crossed the line. Um, Yeah, she crossed the line. I I have to admit, though, I'm not that surprised that she did something like this. She she is one of those cringeworthy comedians. Even if I were to watch her on on you know normal television, she she makes me uncomfortable. So I'm not surprised she did this. Um, I I'm. Pleased. Are you surprised that see? Are you surprised that there wasn't somebody? See this this isn't a filter. Well, right. She's yeah. not. She's not. Well, she's not sitting on the View. You know, in the spirit of a, of a live discussion in front of an open mic. This was a staged photo shoot. So there's. The photographer. There's mm-hmm. the prop master. There's all the people. So where there's, there's the managers. Are you are, are you surprised that there was nobody out there that might say, "Hey, this this might create an issue"? I I I'm not. I'm not. Our society is. Uh, I mean, I I thought desensitized to it, and quite honestly, I'm not downplaying it all. But when I first saw it, it was before all the hype. I had seen it. Somebody reposted it on Facebook, and I was like, "Oh God, wow, not surprised." Mm-hmm. Um, that makes me uncomfortable. I don't like it. But I was pleased to see the outrage, uh, whatever your politics are, um, that this was wrong, especially in our day and age where beheadings are right are, are commonplace in terrorist right. attacks. Well, yeah, that, that's the thing. I mean, that, that when I first saw the image, it just it brought back that she's posed exactly the same way as the ISIS guy, yeah. you know, holding the beheaded yeah. uh, prisoner. It, well, Susie, she, okay, you're in PR. Yeah. <laughs> you, you talked about a filter. You know, the Pepsi commercial happened, too, and there were a lot of people around when the Pepsi commercial happened. She, she had people that are of like mind. You know that are her filters, and I don't think they were doing much good. Um, so it was a it was a mistake. She admit she admitted she crossed the line. Sincere, and and the, the apology was I thought fair yeah. and sincere. Well, first and, she tried to defend it, well, and then it didn't work, right. and then she apologized. Okay, now I, that that should be the end of the story. We should talk about it, and tomorrow we should you know move on. But unfortunately, I think in about ten minutes, she and her attorney have gotten together, and they're hosting a press conference in California at nine nine a.m. California time. So we'll see. I mean, Free I suppose or something. Suppose Supposedly, she's going to defend her her defend Aww. herself. Oh, now, I think she's going <laughs> to be doing herself more damage. You know, coming from the world of PR, it's like you keep talking about it, you just keep digging yourself in deeper. It's like you you made your apology, move on. I so think she's going to be, be fine though. Uh, Somebody's going to pick her up uh, well, again. She brought in an attorney, which is really interesting to me. So, well, well I think well, I see. I, I you know, I I don't. I think there are right people do forget things, but you know, this was one. 
I, I, I saw Jim Carrey defended her, but this is one where I, I just think most reasonable people, you, you don't, even, even if you hate Donald Trump, I don't think most people want to be on, on the side of, of, um, of her. But it'll be interesting to see. So mm-hmm. news conference coming news up conference. at noon. 10 minutes. Because huh. yeah. I saw, I mean, today the news was a bunch of, again, people that booked her had dropped her mm-hmm. because, um, that's, you, you, as I often say, just because you have a right to do something doesn't mean it is the right thing to do. Okay, as long as we're talking about that, did you guys see the story? It's actually, it's been my favorite story of the week that the Mets mascot, the the Mr. Met who, uh, it's it's some Mets employee who is at at the at Shea Stadium dressed in the Mets mascot costume, and apparently he, there's a bunch of I'm going to probably assume drunken Mets fans who are screaming obscenities at him mm-hmm. for the entire game, and on the way out. While in full costume, he makes what appears to be an obscene gesture. Now he only have four digits, not five, but but it's, <laughs> it's really clear what he it was right, it, right. But it's but it's you understand yeah. what he's trying to do. All right, um, the guy in the suit. What should happen to him? Should he be fired? Should he lose his job, Susie? I think so. You know, it, it was offensive. It, yeah, I. Personally, I, I said was it. a little offended. Well, no, seriously. I, see, I, would, I know I'm supposed I, to be offended. I, I, I was amused. Were you I really didn't offended? think it was funny. You know, I, I, I was offended. Oh, come I, on. I was, I was somewhat offended. You know why he, where he did it was in the tunnel. I think he felt like nobody except the person, you know, who's kind of hanging out, unfortunately taking his picture, video, could see him. That's why he did it, because nobody else could see it except this guy who happened to catch it on video, and now it's out there for us all to see. I don't know. Well, it's just inappropriate. Im- just imagine if he would have, like, shouted that in in the way that he had gestured it. I think he would have been fired immediately. But here's the thing. Will we really ever know? Only the Mets will know, right? I mean, well, I'm, it's I'm a mascot. Sure this, well, but I'm sure this guy is going to come out and tell his story. I mean, people know people know who you're... The okay. story. Okay, Tracy. Su- Susie was offended. Were you offended? No. I no. was amused. Mascots I, no. do the, those animated gestures. I, I mean, I was surprised. I watched the video and I was like, okay, Ooh, he shouldn't have done it, trouble. I guess, right, right or wrong. He shouldn't have done it. Would I have been offended? No, I, not. I had a lady who called in yesterday who, who worked as a mascot when she was in college, <laughs> and she would talk about the awful things people would do. I mean, she had like, like kids that would spin them around, grab her by the tail. She was saying, like, throw her down. She said, there was one point in time where I, I, I did it. She said, I had five digits. And I, I, used, <laughs> I used one of those. It was just in the year before cell phones. I have, Actually, I think this guy... I think this guy is going to be a folk hero in New York. He was, oh, he was, he was almost on my Right Stuff Awards, but, <laughs> but uh, somebody else beat it out. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we do have the Right Stuff Awards. If you are following us on Facebook Live and you would like to nominate somebody, um, you can participate as well. It's 1152. Jeff Wagner, Susie Falk, Tracy Johnson. Uh, it is the Week in Review on News Radio 620 WTMJ. Stick around. It's 1155. It's the Week in Review. Jeff Wagner, Susie Falk, your Right Stuff Award winner. Marcus Corporation Chairman Steve Marcus wins my Right Stuff Award for his vision and leadership in bringing the outdoor public art exhibit called Sculpture Milwaukee to downtown. The exhibit features the work of 21 local and international artists, including Calatrava, and it was officially introduced to the public this week in a ribbon-cutting and celebration. Art should be appreciated by as many who want to appreciate it, and what's cool about this exhibit is it's free, and it's going to attract people to downtown who are going to spend money and help build our local economy, so hats off to Steve Marcus. Tracy Johnson. All right. Uh, My Right Stuff Awards this week goes to members of the uh, State of Wisconsin Budget Committee who've announced their support of Governor Walker's proposal to eliminate the state property tax and save Wisconsin tax property owners, I'm sorry, property owners, $180 million over the next two years. And I understand the controversy around this, um, but a lot of these programs that are so-called on the table from this uh, defined funding will still be funded through the general program. So that took a lot of courage, and I think it, it fits Governor Walker's message. So right stuff goes to them. You think it's going to pass? 
I do. You do? I do. Yeah. Walker's been pushing it hard. Yeah. I think it's... um. Um, yeah, removing the that, that's a big deal. Removing well, the state uh, property tax, the, the state portion from people's local property taxes. Well, and what they're doing to it to kind of pull it out from some of the other uh, contingencies, I, I, I have confidence that it's going to go. Does somebody have a birthday coming up, Susie? Oh, I've heard that somebody yeah, has a birthday coming too. up. Would that be uh, maybe on friend? Monday? Happy birthday, Tracy. <laughs> maybe on Monday. Yeah, happy birthday to have Tracy Johnson. And we won't. Uh, yeah, we, 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 we won't. It would be very rude to ask a lady, you know, so, that, uh, my gosh, you just turned bright red there. All right. It's a so monumental that, birthday. Let's it, put it that way. One of the, <laughs> um, okay. And my Right Stuff Award winner, um, I was going to give it to Mr. Matt, but on a more serious note, um, it's Tanette Walker, the first lady of the state of Wisconsin. Um, she's been very instrumental in this organization that she was really was involved in helping start. It's called Fostering Future. She was in Washington this week trying to, to drum up some support among the congressional delegation. Um, Fostering Futures is all about dealing with children who experience trauma in their life, um, whether it's parents that are beating them or drugs in the home. And, and it studies the effects that these traumatic experiences in early life have on kids growing up, and it's designed to help intervene and try to deal with it. Um, it's a wonderful initiative, and Tanette Walker is a huge leader in this. And for that, she gets my Right Stuff Award. Ladies, thank you.